Fair break in full swing, plus France's women's quadrangular series with Jersey, Spain and Austria, Nepal v Zimbabwe A, Denmark v Finland, the Valletta Cup in Malta and a look towards Namibia's T20i series against Zimbabwe. But first, a shout out to our supporters at Patreon before we get started on this week's show. If you're passionate about cricket in the associate world and beyond, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an Emerging Cricket Patron. A huge shout out to our latest patron, Michael Anderson. Thank you so much for joining the EC movement. To sign up, log on to patreon.com forward slash Emerging Cricket. As always, plenty to talk about on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Oh, this week of emerging cricket snuck up on us. Plenty of action around the world, whether it be in Nepal, in Europe, or at the Fair Break Invitational. Uh, so glad to have you here listening to us once again at the Emerging Cricket Podcast, wherever you are, uh, online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm joined by Nick Skinner this week. Nick, how are you? Plenty to keep up with, uh, not only in UAE with Fair Break, but action in Europe and mentioned the Nepal Zimbabwe A series as well. Uh, how have you done in trying to keep up with all of it? Well, it's uh, I've been, yeah, kind of ticking off all my uh, visa paperwork, which is kind of like pulling teeth. As if things weren't hard enough. Yeah, cards cards not working and the Icelandic banks not working and various, you know, all, all the little annoying things that happen when you, when you apply for a visa in another country, but... Uh, yeah, slowly making our way through it, um, and uh, yeah, able able to keep an eye on some of the cricket that's been going on. Uh, Denmark had a had a stream up for their series against Finland, which I'm sure we'll get to. So that was good, and uh, obviously the fair break stuff going along nicely. So yeah, keen to get into it. Let's jump into it straight away then, Nick. Uh, plenty to talk about, and another huge week in the women's associate game, of course, with with fair break. But we'll start on the men's side, and we'll start with the Nepal series hosting Zimbabwe, a historic tour in a way. Uh, a full member visiting Nepal, uh, albeit an A side. We talked about the T20 series last week, so if you missed that, make sure to go back and check that out. But we'll talk about the one day is that are now run and done, and Nepal after the one all draw in the T20 series managed to win the one day series two games to one there was a little bit of rain about and they did come back from one nil down in what ended up being quite a successful hit out for them and I'm sure Zimbabwe got quite a bit out of it too just to run through some early scores uh, Nepal bowled out for 136 in the first game Zimbabwe chased it down albeit losing seven wickets uh, and then the next two games Zimbabwe batted first were bowled out for 87 Nepal chased it down in just over 11 overs and then Zimbabwe in a rain affected match uh, bowled out for 213 and Nepal chased that down in 30.1 overs on the face of it and watching the stream, there were a couple of things to take out of it. I think the issues of Nepal's batting still very much present. It did help them that they were able to to know what they were chasing and they let the bowlers do the job in the first innings. That seems to be the best way that they want to go about things. But I suppose it comes back to the question of what happens you know, in League 2 fixtures in the future if they do happen to bat first, Nick, where they do find it difficult to kind of work out how to pace their setting of a target and batting in the first innings. There's a couple of guys who've come back and, and played a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about them. The likes of uh, Sunil Damala, one of uh, EC's favourite players, I think we could probably say. Uh, but Nick, what did you make of the series? It's, it's a good one for Nepal. A number of men standing up, but the usual suspects with ball and bat, the, the bowling all around as they really shone as well. Yeah, it was interesting. I think, 
if you know, it would be uh, fascinating to see how a full strength Zimbabwe team went against this Nepali side, which they, the Nepalis were also experimenting a bit. Um, obviously, Zimbabwe's uh, other A team or uh, the Zimbabwe eleven or whatever they're calling it is, is uh, playing a series against South Africa at the moment, so that wasn't possible. But uh, yeah, two one series win. <laughs> It's funny, you talk about Nepal batting second um, and, you know, a lot of their famous victories have come sort of in the, you know, last gasp chase, obviously that game against Canada in... Uh, the Valentine's Day special, yes, make your favourite. Um, in, in World Cricket League 2 a few years back, that was um, that was chasing. And so maybe it's kind of a, a psychological thing, but you know, I, I think back to the T20 series, both uh, against the Zimbabweans and also uh, the, the Tri-Series they hosted about a month ago with, with PNG in Malaysia and batting first, batting second, just in that, you know, the shortened time frame, it just seems like they're able to kind of, you know, guys like Dependra Singh Iri or, or Asif Sheikh just go hard and, and don't worry too much about pacing the innings and, and, and that kind of thing. So almost the T20 format is suiting them better in that way when they're not chasing. So that's that's kind of interesting that they're just kind of finding their feet a bit with the with the 50 over format, which as Tim talks about a, a lot is, you know, that's the dominant format for development at the moment but going forward you know potentially t20 will be kind of more uh what what associates are doing so uh one to keep an eye on there i think yeah as you say the usual suspects karan kc sompal kami were the the chief destroyers in in match two where zimbabwe were were bowled out for 87 and then um yeah they were still the sort of the backbone of the pace attack which is both good and bad you know because because obviously it's good that their senior guys are still standing up and delivering but at the same time yeah, where's the pressure coming behind them? Kishore Mahato uh, seems like he might be a promising find. Uh, five for 43 in the third game, uh, which was his you know, his first... I don't know if you can call it his senior debut for Nepal because it's not exactly a senior game, but you know, whatever this is, uh, you know, it's his first match of any kind for Nepal. So, yeah, I mean, maybe, but then again, we, we just see this so much that someone kind of bursts onto the scene for Nepal and then just fades away and they, they just have such a, I don't know, rotating cast of, of people coming through and then disappearing again. And um, even Sandeep had a bit of a, a mixed series. He bowled quite well in the first two games uh, very miserly and then got smashed around in, in the third. Um, I don't know. Do you reckon the captaincy is making him less effective or is it kind of the drama around him being captain or kind of a combination of a few different issues in the the Nepali dressing room? It's an interesting one. He opened the bowling in that low total that Nepal had set Zimbabwe in the next game, came out, took two for in the next game, and then here. Yeah, well, he got whacked in that, in that third match. I'm not sure if it's captaincy yet. I think that the jury's probably still out. There were a couple of... I did notice, and and going through uh, Nepali cricket social media, there were a few things that that people picked up on. Uh, I think he gave away a no ball by having too many fielders out at one point. So I think there are still a couple of things that he that he has to iron out, and and that will come with experience. Um, there was I noticed too that his bowling action looks a little bit different, and I think Rajan Shah, better known as as Momo Cricket across cricket Twitter. He noticed that the action was a little bit different as well. When he first burst onto the scene for Nepal, he was a very technical, very traditional leg spinner. When he was pushed into IPL and, and franchise T20 cricket, he did bowl a little bit quicker through the air. And I did notice his action in this series in particular looked a little bit different again. Almost, it was very strange. I can't really describe it. It was almost as if he was framing up to the crease, almost like an off spinner would 
would bowl, mm. but he was still bowling wrist spin and, and actually quite a few uh, wrongans, which we know that is very much part of his modus operandi. He does bowl a lot of wrongans. Um, he seemed like he just bowled a little bit too many now. And I think shifting from T20 cricket to, to 50 over cricket, you need to bowl slightly different lines and you need to be a little bit smarter in the way you go about things. And, you know, maybe in that third game, Zimbabwe just sort of picked up on, on a few of his tells and, and made the most of it. I don't. I think it's probably still early to, to say that the burden of captaincy is, is too much on Sandate because he has taken wickets in, what, two of those those three matches, right? So I think it's probably a little bit too early to say. Uh, but again, we talked about it last week. The idea of, of you know, the best player being captain sometimes can, can weigh that player down and, and the burden of responsibility becomes too much. You know, you can go back over the years and, and name... 50 really, really good players who were given captaincy and then struggled to fit in that sort of role. To to look at the rest of the team, the likes of Karen KC and Son Palkami even again came through with the bat in that first. Mm, yeah, 25 off not too many deliveries. Yeah. A, pretty, a pretty disgraceful batting performance in that first game. And it just it shows that, again, batting in that first innings, batting first, they just don't really know how to piece it all together. And... There is that vacuum of experience that we talked about last week, you know, still trying to fill the, the Paris role. And now with Ganendra Malagon, Darmala coming back is is good. Uh, he made a start in one of the, the games in particular. But again, you rightly point out, there's just a, a carousel of Nepali players. And we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. I think they've played 23 players in League Two. Yeah. And they're trying more players here. And yeah, we know that this is a different series. It's the Zimbabwe A side that, that's touring. Um, they're giving other players a go, but I don't think Nepal are any clearer as to knowing what the eleven will be the next time they do go out and play League Two cricket. I think there are a few certain names on that list, Sandeep obviously being one of them, Sompal, Karen KC, providing that they're fit. Kushal Bertel had a strong series here. That's four certainties. Dependra Singh Ire is probably five. Again, you just don't really know where the pieces kind of fit in all of it. And this series probably asks more questions for Nepal than answers them in the context of, well, where do they see Cricket World Cup League 2 going? Because they've got a huge number of fixtures in the pipeline in 50 over cricket. They don't need to worry about T20 cricket at the moment. Maybe from a ranking standpoint for 2024 qualification, but they've got so much League 2 cricket coming up. You know, they need to get this right on the 50 over side of things if they are to flourish in that League 2 competition. Well, yeah, you talk about kind of more questions than answers. I mean, I saw Binod Bandari was back uh, with the gloves, keeping an Asif Sheikh played as a batter in a couple of the games, which was, yeah, kind of interesting. And, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think Bandari is probably a better keeper than Asif Sheikh. So maybe if they go back to him, that does that... I mean, but then his batting isn't necessarily as strong... So there's just a lot of question marks and who, you know, finally gets into that 11. It's, it's not settled and that can't be good for, you know, a team going forward with, as you say, a huge amount of cricket um, coming up. Uh, yeah, Damla was an interesting one. I mean, he hasn't played for Nepal at all for, for years. So, yeah, I don't know. What, what, where, where did this come from? And, uh, you know, where was, where was he before? I don't know. Like, why were they not selecting him, I guess? I don't know, but as someone who believes he can front up the Sunil Darmala fan club, uh, <laughs> I'm all I'm all about it. So I'm not necessarily looking for any sort of rhyme or reason as to why he's picked. I'm just kind of grateful he's there. In domestic cricket, he's, 
He's a beast. Well, yeah. One of the, the nicest players to watch, but... Why, why has he not been playing a bit more? There's there's a lot worse batters who've had a lot more games than him over the last few years, so I don't know. I think, too, I think too it's, the, it's the idea of looking for that next diamond in the rough who's 16, 17, 18. I mean, is only, what, 24? Like, come on, he's... <laughs> that's like... That's, that's old in this team, Nick. You know that. <laughs> it's like the 1800s where if you're not married by 25, you're, a, you're an old maid. <laughs> it's all it's all over. Yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? It's definitely the way that it's kind of foreseen. I, I did notice, too, they spoke to the new GM... Uh, in one of the breaks, and he talked about the the changing of the guard and, and can and all the things they were planning on doing. And just one sort of point to wrap up on this week in, you know, the, the sands of the hourglass, so too are the days of our lives of Nepali cricket, Nick. <laughs> I've heard murmurs from people involved in competitions in Nepali cricket, figures in Nepali cricket, who have come out and told me personally that the... Businesses involved in the can-run T20 league aren't as squeaky clean as made out. Uh, Mm. 7-3 Sports is the name of one of the businesses linked to the production and the the formulation of the the new can-run T20 league in Nepal. Definitely need to do more digging on this site to sort of work out what it's all about. But I'm I'm hearing things that they aren't the most reliable of operators, and it's definitely something to keep an eye on in the in the progress of that particular can run T20 league because they came out with that press release that was lip service is probably harsh, but there weren't a whole lot of details that that came of that press release. Just that they're planning to run a tournament, they're not sure when it's being run, and they don't know who's going to sponsor it or how many teams they're going to be. So yeah, just to kind of <laughs> to, to underline, uh, I suppose, the, the trials and tribulations of Nepali cricket, that's uh, just another side story, uh, another backstory to think about. I mean, it wouldn't be that surprising. You know, there, there are a number of cowboy operators who've kind of been involved in Nepali cricket over the years. So it's kind of, uh, yeah, you, you almost expect it at this point. And I guess to reiterate what we talked about, Last time this came up was, you know, there's no shortage of T20 franchise competitions in Nepal already. So, yeah, I'm not convinced it's the best use of priorities, especially since, as we've just been discussing, you know, the the 50 over kind of the, the rhythms of that game is something that these Nepali players really need to get in the gear for with so many League 2 fixtures on the way. And, yeah, I don't know, just being kind of distracted with yet another T20 league, I don't know how useful that is. Yeah, let us know if, you, if you're listening from Nepal with the hashtag ECPod, what your take on all of it is. We'll stick to uh, some men's cricket that has gone on before we get into our wealth and depth of women's content and cricket this week because there has been plenty. Denmark hosting Finland in T20 men's action, Nick, and the Finns with a huge surprise in the first match, just again showcasing, uh, I suppose, the overall competitiveness in, in this region and, and the growth of, of Finnish cricket, beating Denmark by three wickets off the penultimate ball of the match as well. Denmark did come back to eventually claim the series. Uh, I'm sure you were a keen viewer of this particular series, Nick, or a keen follower of it at least. Uh, what did you make of it? Because, again, that's a pretty positive result uh, on Finland's side of things. Plenty going on in that series. Yeah, Finland, I mean, I know we talk about the rankings being a bit dodgy. They're significantly below Denmark, though, so um, which I think is reflective of their position. So definitely an upset, but 
yeah, good to see them improving, hitting a six off the last ball to, to get the win, which is always great. Um, I think, I don't know, Clocker was there sort of um, almost as a, an advisory role. You know, he batted a bit down the order, wasn't keeping, um, so he was kind of not that involved. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm not sure what that's about. The, the um, There are a few, you know, uh, notable exceptions. For example, uh, Nikolai Damgaard and, and um, you know, a couple of others who were involved in that board dispute uh, towards the end of last year. Uh, Amjad Khan was uh, kind of mediocre with the ball and, and he was um, also kind of on the other side of that board dispute. So, uh, yeah, um, I don't know. I, I guess we probably don't need to read the tea leaves too much, but um, it seems like there's still some um, some patching up to do uh, within Danish cricket, which, you know, I, I mean... <laughs> When 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 you don't have that many players to begin with, you can't afford to be alienating some of your best best guys. So that's that's kind of um, yeah one one to keep an eye on. But um, yeah, impressive impressive uh, chase by Finland. Uh, <laughs> as you say, penultimate ball, 142. Denmark came back with a couple of pretty solid 150 plus scores to beat Finland uh, comprehensively in the next two games, bowled them out for 33 in the second match and then kept them to uh, eight for 109, chasing 165 in, in the third. So, um, yeah, they got their revenge. Uh, Hamid Shah as well, a man with, I would say, the best cover drive in Scandinavia, uh, hit 49 and 99 in uh, in the two other matches, the, the second two matches of the series, um, ex-captain there as well, so another kind of interesting story. A lot of the wickets were shared around quite a lot, so that was that was encouraging for their bowlers. Surya Anand as well was another one who's kind of on the up and up uh, in Danish cricket. So yeah, nice nice to see them streaming it as well, um, which which was impressive. And uh, yeah, hopefully we see more of these series as well because with a lot of the kind of lower level qualifying tournaments uh, being cancelled and postponed and whatnot over the last couple of years. Just a lot of these guys have have not had much opportunity to get on the field, so yeah, just more of this, please. Yeah, to reiterate uh, the the point about some of the competitiveness, I think there were eighteen teams in European T Twenty World Cup qualifying for the last World Cup, and I think every team tasted victory at some stage in that in that qualifying tournament or that you know through the phases of the qualifying tournament. So, again, just another uh, testament to to what cricket is doing in in parts of uh, Scandinavia, although the Finnish get a little bit upset if you call them Scandinavian as well. Um, yeah, it's kind of yeah nebulous term. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Nordic perhaps they are in the Nordic Council, so you know they are. Yes, uh, staying in Europe but moving to the women's game with quite a bit going on. France quadrangular series hosted in in Dre. The hosts, uh, Jersey, Spain, and Austria competing. No Andrea May uh, Zepeda, the Women's Associate Player of the Year last year, uh, crowned by the ICC. She's at the Fair Break Tournament. Uh, Jersey, strong winners. Uh, interesting format. I think we kind of looked at this, Nick, and have just determined that they wanted to give everyone four matches, but even though there were four teams, everyone played each other once, and then there were just two more games to, to tack on at the end. Even in spite of that, Jersey looked uh, probably a class above Austria and France sharing a pair of wins. Spain uh, competing in their first women's T20Is, if I'm not mistaken, uh, winless, but a good learning experience for them. Uh, Plenty of uh, positives here. What did you make of it? Yeah, as you say, uh, Jersey pretty dominant, um, so definitely the best team there. They won with uh, seven wickets and seven overs 
to spare and then uh, 67 runs, 70 runs and then six wickets with four overs to do. So pretty comfortable victories all throughout the tournament for them. Uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. I, I don't know. If, uh, do we know why they weren't playing at the European qualifiers last year? Because they definitely were a cut above the teams here, including France, who, who uh, were, who were there. at the tournament. And um, certainly they would have been better than Turkey, who was slated uh, to originally participate in that tournament, but, but couldn't due to visa issues. So... Um, yeah, I'm not quite sure what the story is with Jersey and um, the, the kind of sort of almost the forgotten women of uh, European cricket in in a lot of ways. There, you know, we we only saw a few snippets of video rather than a, a full on live stream, which was a little disappointing. But uh, yeah, Jersey just definitely looked um, just a class above in in terms of technique and better drilled and and just a, a bit more kind of agile throughout the field, uh, which is no disrespect for the other teams, but. Um, yeah, just um, you would think that with a team looking this good, why are they not uh, participating in the, the qualifying pathway at least? But uh, yeah, and anyway, um, Spain, I think, was a good story. They didn't win any games, but uh, as you say, making their uh, women's T20I debut. Uh, a lot of players coming out of the, the growing immigrant club scene. Uh, we've seen a lot of good efforts to grow the game, uh, especially around kind of Barcelona and, and a lot of the um, sort of community grassroots efforts uh, at, at, you know, getting cricket uh, involved in various kind of schools and community programs. So that's um, definitely one to watch on the women's side, especially. France, clearly the second best team. I think it's fair to say that their experience in the qualifiers, uh, even though they lost every match there, put them in good stead here. Uh, and, and, and just look, you would imagine that having played uh, at that level above that, you know, coming back and taking that experience here is, has put them in good stead. And you know, having said that, the fact that uh, Jersey <laughs> beat them twice pretty comfortably, um, again, indicates that uh, Jersey are ready at least to compete at that next level. And a series between Jersey and uh, Germany, I think, would be quite interesting. I think they'd be a pretty similar level. Uh, Austria, yeah, as you said, missing Andre May Zepeda, the ICC Women's Associate Cricketer of the Year, uh, was always going to leave a hole in their um, in their lineup, and uh, they they couldn't get over the line except against debutante Spain. So, uh, going to have to produce a few more players uh, to to match Zepeda's quality if if they want to uh, keep moving up in the Women's Associate ladder. But uh, yeah, good uh, good to see this tournament happening again. France has hosted similar ones in the, the last sort of few years in the past. Um, Marie Violot took over the captaincy for France um, with, with uh, Emmanuel Prolivet uh, not not captaining and not even playing. So I'm not 100% sure. You know, it's, it's kind of frustrating, you know, a lot of the time uh, with these teams, there's not necessarily uh, a lot of information coming out and, you know, you just kind of... You know, you just kind of notice on the scorecard or, or you know, on the... Yeah. Um, oh, such oh, and yeah. such is missing. Look, look, there's no one, you know, that person's not playing or that person's now the captain or so. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess it would be good if uh, we, we were able to hear a bit more consistently uh, out of these teams, but uh, that's kind of a recurring problem for the emerging game in general. Yeah, we've had, we've had thoughts on that, but in saying that, we're created to, to help try and bridge that gap as well, so... It, it kind of it kind of goes both ways. There are a couple of individual performances that I do want to bring up. Elspeth Fowler, who played for Spain, mm. leading run scorer of the tournament by a long way, 26, 29, 44, and 42 not out across the tournament. So uh, from, you know, an individual standpoint, you know, she's definitely a, a player that 
that made her mark in the in the in the quad series unfortunately not quite enough to pull her team through but another player that i want to bring up Mahadewa Pathira Nahalage uh, took eight wickets for Austria, including a, a five-wicket haul uh, against the Spaniards, five for 16, I think it was. Probably the, the leading sort of moment from a, a bowling standpoint at the time. Pratesh was the next best wicket taker with five at an average of 11.6. So there are a, a couple of uh, individuals from all four teams standing up and and showing their quality in in the associate women's game here in this example. And we'll talk about fair break in a moment, and we'll kind of re-emphasize the point that individual talent in, in associate cricket circles on the women's side is nothing new, nor is it few and far between, because we've seen a number of players from around the world step up, and it hasn't really uh, been an issue or a case of, of where players are from, because we are seeing you know quality in individuality in all of these places. I think one of the things that we'll see in the next five to 10 years of, of women's associate cricket, particularly in the European region, but in other places as well, is that I think the overall quality will improve across the group. And, and these players who are at this point a cut above, they won't quite make that individual mark because the collective talent across the group will eventually sort of build to a, a sort of stable uh, floor of quality across the group, which which means it's it's hyper competitive around uh, each region to each region. Yeah, and one more name I think just to mention would be Amy Brown Carrera, who has played at a, a decent standard over in uh, in the UK. Um, and yeah, so just I guess uh, Spain <laughs> looking around for potential um, you know potential people who who qualify for Spain. So uh, that's another good. Uh, Good find for them, and uh, yeah, there's there's a few players around with uh, you know Spanish ancestry over in the UK. So uh, yeah, maybe maybe their team can um, can uh, improve uh, both on the men's and women's sides uh, pretty quickly. Let's head to fair break uh, because there's been a lot of action going on. We're heading to the business end of the tournament, and by the time you're listening to this, it might have already reached its conclusion but we'll talk about what we've seen so far the spirit and the balmy army leading things uh on the balance of everything as we record this falcons and tornadoes uh have games in hand in in third and fourth sapphires fifth warriors sixth i think the big talking point for us from an emerging cricket standpoint nick is that to bring up the the same point just mentioned in the uh, Europe quadrangular series is that a number of individual players from associate nations have stood up when the going has got tough at fair break and it's been very positive to see Sita Maga of Nepal stood out as, as a quality left arm orthodox bowler and, and everywhere you look there are a number of individual performances by associate players that have been thoroughly encouraging and I think the big thing for us is that okay we haven't quite reached the, the end of the tournament for us recording as we, we talk about it right now, but there hasn't really been a huge golfing class between the, the full member players who are making their mark and the strong associate players who are well and truly contributing to their team's performances. It's been pretty heartwarming to see, and, and there hasn't really been a drop of talent anywhere anywhere you look, even across the six teams, you know, by how they're comparatively going in the competition. Yeah, I mean, players like, you know, Laura Volfart and Chamari Adipadu and... Um... Uh, Deandra Dotton, the big names have certainly been uh, scoring a lot of runs and you know, looking across at the, the bowling side of things, you know, Ayabonga Kaka, Shabnam Ismail, Sophie Eccleston, you know, the number one ranked bowler in the world. So yeah, there's the four members have, have been proving their worth, but at the same time, 
people like Miyagi from Japan, who got a forfer for the spirit. Gitika Kadali uh, from the USA has been uh, pretty miserly and, and bold in really effective uh, spells. Uh, you know, Nataya Butcher Tam, Sonar and Tipok, all kind of names that are very familiar have, have been bowling quite well. And, you know, Natakan Chantam, uh, one of our favorites, Jeans, oh. uh, he, he had a really nice 70 uh, odd. Typical kind of genes, you know, coming down the pitch and, and just smashing it down past the, the bowler through that cover mid-off, mid-on sort of arc that, that she hits so well. And, you know, Steric Callis as well hit, hit a 50-odd top scoring uh, in one of the games. So they've, they've all shown that they can do it. And, and this is, it's a bit of a strange tournament, the, um, you know, this fair break thing, which I guess we'll, we'll kind of see how it evolves over the next little while. But um as Tim sort of alluded to uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, what's what's the identity for this? They're, they're kind of, um, I think as a brand, it's finding its feet because it was um, over the last few years, just a sort of a one-off event and, and a kind of, um, that I think they ran sort of conference workshoppy type things around um, women's issues and, and that kind of thing when, when it was still in Hong Kong. And I think they played a game in Australia as well. So there, there's a kind of a few things floating around fair break which which are interesting but sort of um i'm not 100 sure about what um you know what it is and what it's about and and so i guess finding that identity over the next little while uh will, will be something to to do but um just as a kind of an it is called the, the fair break invitational and just as an exhibition for associate talent it's been fantastic and you, you just hope that you know these these players, the full member players, the stars who are getting picked up for the big franchise leagues. You just hope that they're kind of they're forming these bonds and uh, they'll be able to have these networks now. And you know when they are looking for a, a, an opener to come in, and you know they might think, oh yeah, I played against Chantam, she's pretty good, or you know, oh um, yeah, you, you know, Kidali, I couldn't I couldn't hit her off the square, you know, get her in the team, you know. So I think. Just having those opportunities and, you know, we look at other franchise events, perhaps on the men's side where there's been overlap between associates and, and full members. And um, it was, I think it was Dwayne Bravo who recommended Ali Khan uh, to the CPL. And so these kinds of opportunities are really important, even if they don't necessarily translate immediately to, to <laughs> um, you know, Thailand being led into the World Cup and, you know, Malaysia getting a, a, a spot in the qualifier or any of that stuff on the international scene, just having these career opportunities, I think is, is really important for, for players from countries where, yeah, where there isn't necessarily uh, that much money in cricket, you know, Winifred Durisingham, who uh, has bowled really impressively, uh, the Malaysian a skipper playing for the tornadoes. Again, it's, it's this thing of, of, we all know that they have the talent, but you know, hopefully enough um, of of the players and and administrators around and and commentators and just people involved in the kind of the full member world are able to see that these these women are actually able to compete at this level and um, yeah, hopefully that changes a, a, a few minds. Uh, we know about uh, the Sri Lanka situation at, at the World Cup earlier the year, not being there, and Chamari Adipadu showing her class and and leading the tournament in runs, but. Again, just to, to kind of emphasize the same point, you know, Deandra Dotton had an outstanding Cricket World Cup. And again, she's showing why she's one of the best players in the world by performing it at fair break. Laura Vulvard is is easily one of the best batters in the game. Uh, Stefani Taylor. But yeah, if you look at the list, there are only really a handful of players there. And, and the golfing in class is certainly not that big. You know, Chantum is showing all of her qualities and, and as you said, 
in her typical style, the likes of Sarah Callis. And I think a big thing, and, and this is in all T20 franchise cricket, there is something that can be said about the idea that you need to face or you need to see someone between the 22 yards to kind of realize just how effective a player can be. There, There is a lot that can be said about when you realize that it's difficult out in the field to get a particular bowler away, that's when you realize how effective player X can be. And I think one of the, the key kind of tactical points of thinking in cricket is what would the opposition not want me to do? Mm. And if you kind of see how it, tough it can be either batting and facing the likes of Gidi Kadali or or bowling and just seeing how Natakan Chantum goes about her business, it, it just goes such a long way in, in, in knowing what could be so effective because the big thing in cricket is the disparity or the perceived disparity between associate members and full members in terms of quality. And yes, there probably is a jump, but when you get the chance, like we do in fair break, where a lot of a, a strong scattering of associate players are testing themselves against the best and taking wickets and scoring runs, that's gold dust because it just shows that it, it can be done in a in a setting like a T Twenty tournament, and that there's a little bit more safety in banking on that player when a women's BBL or the women's hundred or heaven forbid a women's IPL, you know, potentially <laughs> at some point eventually that. You know, we will see the, these plays because the sample size and the data that they've collected is, is strong enough now because they've tested themselves and they've taken wickets and scored runs against uh, strong opposition rather than just being the very best in a, in a group at the associate level. I think it wouldn't be a stretch to say that a number of these players are putting themselves in the shop window for the 100 and, and WBBLs in, in, in the future. We know that, you know, the women's 100 this year is probably a little bit too soon for a number of these players unless you know something happens and and they're brought in as replacements but yeah it just put, it just plants a seed in, in players who are no doubt helping the recruitment processes of their respective teams you know as to how their teams brought up you know a lot can be said about a coach going to a player who's played at fair break and, and say look you know we've got such and such as a budget, we need to fit this team need. You've played in this tournament, you've played against X, what do you make of, of, of them as a player? And that's that's how it happens. It's no secret. Cricket is very word of mouth in that regard. It's not really like football where oh, you've got a scout going to some far-flung corner of the earth and, and finding a, a diamond in the rough. It's very much about how players are tested against strong opposition. And this is just, it's almost the perfect storm of, of, of everything put together to ensure that these players are given a go. And I just want to make one final comment on, on fair break. As a just Nick, flags on the back of shirts. I'm just such a huge fan of mm. it. I think this needs these to happen at some level in, in every single tournament. I think it's also good just to kind of, obviously to show where everyone's from, but I think it's just a nice touch just to help people be informed in the game, you know, whether or not, say for instance, in the IPL or women's IPL or the BBL 100, whatever, to have a flag on, on the player's shirt sleeve or something just to kind of signify that, yeah, they're an overseas player and they're from this place. I think it's a, it's, it's a good way to kind of bring it all together. And it kind of ties into to everything that Fairbreak wants to be. So it's a, it's a win. You know, player numbers in cricket aren't really necessarily a huge deal. Uh, I know that people made a song and dance when test shirts had numbers on the back. That helps from an identity standpoint. And I understand why people would think it'd be important for, for something like this. But I think it gets the message across just the same. And it's just a, a nice touch that, that Fairbreak have put in this tournament just to kind of 
add to what's collectively been a, a pretty strong tournament from from all aspects. If it's not the play, it's the the telecast and the production standards, and we're going to get a, a pretty thrilling end to the tournament as well. I'm sure. Yeah, and I, I, as you say, you know, the 35 countries that these women come from has been a big kind of selling point of this tournament, and then the diversity and the you know kind of showcasing uh, the game around the world, and um, you know, hopefully, hopefully we see more of it. I, I just think. I guess we kind of talked about it last week, but you know, if basically a private company from Hong Kong can set this up almost single-handedly, there's not really any excuse for most boards not to have something similar, you know? I'm Catherine Bryce, an all-rounder for the Scotland women's cricket team, and you're listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. After series wins against Uganda, the Namibian men's team travelled to Bulawayo to take on Zimbabwe in five T20 internationals from next week. I caught up with Herat Erasmus to discuss the series and everything going on in the preparations to Australia 2022. You come up against Zimbabwe in the next week or so, you guys get a really good opportunity to not only test yourselves against a full member in Zimbabwe, but to give everyone a good chance to, to sort of build into the campaign for Australia in, in October. What do you kind of expect from that series next week, not only of your opponents, but but of your team as well? Where do you think you guys are at in, in the context of all of it? Yeah, like you like to say, we um, we believe in playing lots of crickets and, and testing yourself in on the park. And I think that's one of the things we did right with the, in the previous campaign in the UAE T20 World Cup last year. We played, uh, I think, over 20 I think showed during the um, qualifying period of the tournament. Um, we were kind of an, a well-oiled machine as opposed to, say, the Dutch who, who didn't play lots of games before and as a team. Um, I'm not too sure Ireland's preparation was before that, but uh, I think we played the most games of any of the T20 sides before that. Um, and as a cricketer, that's what you want to learn. You don't really want to be in the nets too often trying to figure stuff out there. Um, it gets quite monotonous and it gets, you know, it's quite draining just to continuously train and train. And especially if you're at the same venue, for example. So you want to get out there and play. Um, to get back to your question on next week, I think, uh, yeah, great opportunity. Um, I think we'll gain a lot of confidence um, from the series if we play well. Uh, if we don't play well, we get we'll gain a lot of information. Um, so I think there's only only really positives that come can come from a tour like that. You know, playing um, at a say level higher than yours. Um, but then again, I think we we in a good. We've been playing really good T20 cricket for a while, and uh, we've got our skills covered. I think. Um, yeah, it's, uh, as I said earlier, it's a. We've got a few injury niggles here and there um, with the workload that we've been through. So um, guys like Trumpelman and um, JJ Smith, um, we've had to manage their lo- loads of the ball a little bit. Um, yeah, and uh, luckily we'll have guys like myself and Zane Green back with the bat. Um, unfortunately, um, a guy like Stephen Bott will miss out with injury as well. So you see, there is a little bit of uh, tweaking happening uh, in the side, but, um, you know, Things like that happen for a reason, and it's always good for the development of your skills and the development of the side, the depth in your side, to be able to tweak and give another guy an opportunity who wouldn't have perhaps ever had that opportunity, had a, an unfortunate injury not um, given him that opportunity. So, 
lots of positives. I think lots of learning, lots of growing pains to go through over the next couple of months. Um, the guys are in good spirits and uh, ready to learn and ready to you know, sort of perform at that level, ready to match their skills with the uh, Zimbabwean team. Um, and uh, yeah, like we saw last year at the World Cup, uh, you only really get better against the bigger nations by playing against them, by matching your skills, by by actually physically doing it. I mean, it's a it's a, it's an A plus B equation. It's so simple. Um, so we're very excited to match the, our skills against the Zimbabwean guys um, at a proper ground. We can match up very well against them and. Um, hopefully some of the results on our side as well. But I, as I say, um, probably important games as well for the result in, in respect to the result with ranking points and this and that um, being talked about quite a lot now for the next World Cup. But I, I still think um, you know our, our main focus, like you say, is is to where we're at in the moment. And in the moment, where we're at is to build up really nicely to the T20 World Cup against a couple of big nations um, if we can and that should do our rankings even even you know even a lot better than uh, we did at the previous World Cup so we want to we want to better it definitely the previous World Cup performance um, but it's going to take a lot um, to do that it's going to take a step up from everyone to do that um, we, because it was such a successful campaign but uh, I mean to match the big nations um it's quite a, it's, it's, a, it's a tough thing. It's not. It's not. Um, doesn't come overnight. You have to match your skills over a consistent period. A huge thanks to Gerard Erasmus again uh, for joining us in that T20I series starting on the seventeenth. Uh, all five matches are held at the Queen Sports Club in Bulawayo. Finally. The Valletta Cup for 2022 has begun in Malta, expanding to six teams and 18 matches in this year's edition. Bulgaria, the Czech Republic, Gibraltar, Hungary and Romania join the hosts who have won their first four matches at the tournament. The final will be held on the 15th of May. To keep up with that competition, make sure to follow along at EmergingCricket.com as well as a range of other stories and news pieces from around the world. But for now, on behalf of Nick Skinner, I'm Daniel Beswick, and thank you once again for listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast.